folks, and welcome to another edition of Now and Then with Glenn, the special segment called Counselor's Corner. Uh, I'm very, very proud to have uh, a neighbor and, and friend for, for many, many years, uh, City Councilor uh, Ricardo Arroyo. How are you, you Counselor? How's everything? It's great. You know, I know that you're a BNN fixture, but we have this is our first actual official BNN interview. Yeah, it is the first time we've kind yeah, of touched it's this. It's the first and time. It's, and it's, it's, that's odd. Rosendale Day Parade doesn't really count. Yeah, no, I can't count that because everyone's coming yeah, at everybody's you. Everybody's coming know? at you. They're quick snippets. This is the first sit-down yeah. moment that we've had. And, and, I'm, and I'm proud to do it with you because, number one, you're my city councilor. Number two, you, you, you know the area that we're going to talk about. Yep. Uh, um, I'm going to kick it off the way I've kicked it off with all the other councils that have, come, that have come in. We watched the news today, 4, 5, and 7. In the first 25 minutes is all... This kid, poor kid, got shot. This happened at mm -hmm. this school. This accident got happened. This one's embezzled. All of this kind of really terrible news you don't want your kids watching. Or, you, you know, that kind of makes some people afraid to leave their homes. Yep. And then the last five minutes is this fluff piece about some kid has a dog with Elvis's picture <laughs> on the side of it or something <laughs> silly like that, you yeah. know? Yeah, the so, cherry on the back. The side. cherry on the back. Side. So what we were, we were talking in, in a... Um, in one of our uh, uh, news circles, uh, roundtables, you know, discussing what we want to talk about, we said, you know, we got to start talking about the good things about being a Bostonian. What goes into being a great Bostonian? There's so many different yep. things happening around the city that nobody hears much. about. Yeah. Well, that's why I got you here. Yeah. See, it's so important for people to, to recognize that it's not all this doom and gloom. No, and I think at the core of it, Boston's not a big city in the sense that it, feel, it feels like a big city. We certainly have a big city impact. But I can't walk down the street without meeting somebody who knows me or my mom or my yeah, sister or my yeah. brother. It's a very close, connected city Sure. Um, at the end of the day. And what, you, what gets lost in a lot of those stories is the day-to-day -day impact that regular Bostonians have in pushing the city forward and, and feeding the ideas that lead to policies, that lead to changes that sometimes elected officials get credit for, but that really are stemming from a groundswell of work that individuals are putting in sort of quietly, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just these little things in Boston that are traditional, um, like our parades, like these little sort of events that are annual that people are more aware of, but I think that th those things and the folks who make those breathe and live and the folks who invest that kind of energy in having community feel like community often don't get the, the, the attention of media the way that they necessarily should, or, yeah. or elected officials, frankly. No, and I, and I, you know, so I thought, who better to ask what's, what's groovy about being a Bostonian than then someone, I, I heard you say yesterday, played baseball in Heinz Field. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you and, know, you grew up in the Healy, community. Uh, and so I will say this. When I came of age, I wanted to not run for office. Uh, and so my father was an elected official. He was very public. I couldn't go anywhere without yeah. people saying, hey, your last name, does that make yeah. you this person? And that felt very suffocating uh, in a lot of ways. But what I realized was because he was doing that work, I was always around individuals who were, who were pushing the city forward in a bunch of different ways. And that could feel like what we would consider major, like people who were fighting racial discrimination. And that feels like a major thing. But it was also things like, hey, we need a community garden. 
so -hmm. that we can actually have some kind of community cohesiveness here. And that's not necessarily something that somebody would say, oh, we're going to write a whole think piece about this person and and put in a place for elders and folks in the community to go and, and garden and meet with one another and create community. But it was those actions that fostered the community that was able to then band together to fight racial discrimination or all these other major issues. And so I was seeing sort of all of these folks, I think it was, um, uh, what is it, uh, Mr. Rogers, who says that uh, his mom always told him when bad things happen, look for the helpers. Well, I was surrounded by helpers my whole life, and I would see them. They impacted my own life. I was my, my coach in high school, Mr. Ortega, shout out to Mr. Ortega, I hope he sees this, uh, was my track coach and was a phenomenal individual human being. But he set a foundation for me where I said, you know, I want to do this. I want to coach kids. And so my first actual public service that I can think of was when I was coaching youth sports as a 16, 17-year-old, and it was because I had other phenomenal youth sports coaches in my life who fill the void beyond just, I'm going to teach you how to do this particular sport. Um, And so those are the folks that I think make Boston special. You know, when you go anywhere from here, I went to Chicago for law school. People Mm -hmm. said, you know, Chicago, Boston, very similar. They like sports, they like politics, and they have neighborhoods. And what they mean by that is every city has neighborhoods. But in Boston, people have a certain pride about their neighborhoods and sure. about their community, you'll see them put the dot sticker or the Rosie sticker or wear the sweater that says like Tokyo, Hong Kong, Rosie. Yeah. <laughs> you you that, like that one, though. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, and the reason for that is because of these other little things that matter. Like, you know, I never, for all of the news that we had, I went to Boston Public Schools. I remember when I was a kid, they would shoot the windows out at the Sarah Greenwood where I went with BB guns. Mm. And I never felt unsafe because of the community that we had around us. Right. I remember taking the T when I was eight, nine, ten, because my parents were just, you know, you're going to learn how to use the orange line. Yeah. Um, and so I would go to the Copley Square Library when I was a child by myself. And I just never felt like Boston wasn't a safe nurturing space Mm -hmm. I recognize that when you're watching news or when you're listening to the news they'll make it seem like every every corner or everywhere you go there's some major tragedy happening and that's not to you know disparage that bad things happen in a city um, and tragic things happen in a city but by and large I went to Chicago I lived in Chicago I've been in other places in my life Boston is a very safe community focused place there's a very distinct neighborhood residential feel to our neighborhoods Mm -hmm. um, that lends itself to that kind of community to what you're talking about which is sort of these individual people who do things like Rosendale Porch Fest Mm -hmm. right or uh, Jamaica Plain Porch Fest or now Open Streets which I think was wildly successful beyond what what everybody thought would would be able to do Um, I think that there's a, a real community aspect to all of these things and that Boston is one a driver of those things and at the same time not necessarily receiving until recently a focus on making sure these things are nurtured and, and brought to, to, to the fold the way they should. What I hear you saying is it's that, that the, the pride in Boston and the success in some of the things that people are getting done around mm-hmm. here and the, are not necessarily the events, but the people behind them. Those are the yeah. people we have to recognize. And, and I think people tend to, right? Like the, the folks who are opening up soup kitchens or pantries to fill needs that like, you know, Shirley Schillingford gets a lot of credit for what she's doing in Mattapan, but we also have folks doing the same work in Rosendale and High Park and other parts of the neighborhood where they're seeing needs yeah. and they're filling those gaps not because anybody's paying them, not because they're getting any attention for it, they're not in the newspapers for it, but because they care about their neighbors and they care about having an impact that they can control within their sphere of influence. And sometimes those things go much further than a lot of people, I think, 
understand the impact of providing food to some individual. I mean, if you've ever done it, you know what it is. I used to tell people I became a public defender, which is what my first original career was, because I enjoyed providing a service for no fee. Right, right. There's something about helping an individual and knowing that you don't ever have to grab your wallet to pay me for it. You're helping them because they need help, not because they're paying. Yes, and you're able to make an impact for them without having to ask for anything in return from them. Mm -hmm. And there's a special feeling that goes into that, which is brings me to why I ran for public office. I ran for public office because I realized there's no profession that exists except the one I am in, where I can focus on what I believe is important, which is holistic impact. Mm-hmm. I can't, you know, some people have a specialization in just housing and development. Some people have a specialization in just education or just public health or just public safety. Yeah. But I can go from a hearing and an ordinance on public safety to a hearing and an ordinance on affordable housing or rent stabilization to a, a hearing on how do we make it so that young children can get basketball hoops that are their size. Right. Right. And I could do all of that in the course of a single day. Yeah. And so there's not a lot. I call it the ADHD profession, <laughs> which is basically if you believe in like this holistic impact, there's not a lot of jobs that give you the freedom and the ability to say, hey, I think that housing situations and the ability to be fed at home and have food on the table, impact education, and I get to treat all of those things right. as, as connected in policy. You know, it's, it's amazing to hear you say that, you know, originally, back when you saw what the job was like through your father's eyes, that you said, I, Up until my 20s. I don't want, yeah, I don't I don't want, want that. that. No. But, you know, but your, your, your whole family, I mean, your mom was a Boston Public Schools teacher for so years. So this was the thing. This was like, so I try to explain this to folks. In my family, there was an understanding, like it wasn't, and nobody ever really stated it, it was just sort of understood Mm -hmm. that whatever you do has to involve some version of giving back to community. That's like your job, it's Mm -hmm. not like a hobby, you're not gonna just do it on a weekend. Your actual nine to five, whatever that is, has to have some component that is actually community driven or community based. And that was just understood in how we did it. So you have my sister who was a teacher, you have my brother uh, Ernesto who works at uh, you know, uh, Justice for a Fair Economy. Uh, and so the, essentially working on raising minimum wage and, and making sure that folks are getting compensated for their labor and that we are creating systems that are worker friendly. Uh, my brother Felix obviously served as an elected official, sure. served yeah. in a public capacity. Uh, my little brother works with kids who are currently um, they're that step where they're DCF involved and they're not taken out of the homes and he's doing those home visits and he's taking wow. care of that. And so, and because he, like me, similarly saw this and said, you know, I don't want to do that. <laughs> For now. <laughs> For now. <laughs> I think the thing is, there's a moment where it's just like you don't, so for me, I went up until my 20s and I said, you know, I'm not going to do that. I have a different, I have, I have gifts and I considered a privilege that I knew I could do that. Yeah. People always, you know, we did not grow up wealthy by any means. We were not poor by any means, but we were right in that spot where you're sort of paycheck to paycheck for much of our life. Yeah. Um, so what I, one thing my father's influence on me was, was that he never cared about a paycheck. And so, and I joke about that now because it, it's, it means that basically what he left us is his reputation. Right. And his reputation was always focused on social work and he was used to tell us, you know, you can't take anything with you. All you can really do is have an impact while you're here. Right. And so I was always trying to, still am, trying to figure out how do I maximize the time that I have that's not a given. I don't know what my time is gonna be like. I just know that I have this time on earth right now. How do I maximize my impact to do good? 
And when I was a public defender, there was a time where I was doing that. I had about 400 to 700 cases. I had gone on through that. And I realized, you know, there's some real policy things that are bringing people to me every day. Right, right. And unless I address that, I'm really not, like, it's making a substantial difference. Don't get me wrong. Having somebody have a false uh, allegation or, or get through a court process that they don't understand um, and get them on their way is life-changing work for mm -hmm. that individual. Sure. Uh, but then there's just, like, how do we stop these individuals from having to be here? And that's a higher level work. And what I always think about is my father was doing policy, which meant he was impacting large amounts of people and he didn't necessarily get to meet them or see them, right? Uh, and my mother was a teacher, and she knew all about what Bill or Mary or Jose were doing in school and how she was helping them, and she knew the impact she was having. And I call that this sort of micro-macro. Yeah. Um, what made me love this job was that I understood I could do those things. I could help somebody through a housing process. I could help them find housing if they've been put on the streets. I could help them through eviction processes, or I could help change how our neighborhood looks through how we push for development or affordable housing or what we're trying to get done. I could fund parks, and I could see the impact of that. I could sit down with children who are talking to us about, hey, I want this kind of a thing in my neighborhood. And at the same time, I could make larger policy, like a uh, rent stabilization bill that we came through recently, or the NIP ban that I'm pushing right now, or the food waste bill that mm -hmm. is going to require food to go to these food pantries. Um, those are larger scale things where I will never meet all of the individuals that touches. And so there's a certain distance. And so I, I realized that I'm more like both of them yeah. and not like one or the other. Right. My mother right. really enjoyed making that change in any one individual's life. And my father really enjoyed making systemic changes. That's amazing. That's an amazing look at it. And to me, you know, I was, I, was, I was at City Hall yesterday for, for, for another reason. And whenever I'm there, if the lights are on in the council chamber, I always like to go in and just poke my head in and kind of see, sit, what's, going see what's going on. And, and I look in, and, and our great city councilor is talking to a seven-year-old about basketball. Yep, Jace. Shout out to Jace. Shout uh, out is right. And so what it was is, back to like little things that make a difference, Jace was six years old, uh, and he wrote a letter to Councilor Lara. Yeah. essentially saying, hey, I'm seven years old and I can't shoot on I a 10-foot hoop. Yeah, yeah. and I, I just, I want to play basketball. And so he sent this letter with the help of his mother and then Counselor Lara saw that and she came to me and she said, we got to do something about this. And I said, absolutely. This <laughs> that is, was great. That's like, back to like all, what you're seeing on the news every day, this is a chance to do something that's a little bit like uh, chicken soup for the soul. <laughs> so I was like, all right, let's, let's do that. Uh, and so we grabbed it and then because we moved forward with a hearing to do this, yeah. another child saw the news report on that and sent in a video Beautiful. testimony, another seven-year-old saying, hey, you know, I would like to play with my friends on a, on a hoop my size. And so this shows sort of the butterfly effect of change, right? Like Jace is a six-year-old, writes a letter to us. We will eventually have, and, and this is now there's plans to get this done, a, a court that is specifically for kids his age. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and it all came because one individual child and their mother uh, said, hey, let's reach out to our local elected officials and see what happens. Yeah, just ask for it. Yeah. Uh, and I was, you know, I told Jace afterwards, this is like a lifelong lesson you should have, which is you don't get what you don't ask for. Yeah. And when I was coaching youth, I used to say, I earn my nose. I never say no to myself. And what I mean by that is, if I was applying to colleges at the time, I was not going to say, I'm not going to get into this college, so I'm just not going to apply or I'm probably not going to get into this college, so I'm not going to apply. I made them say no to me. I wrote the application. I sent it in. You know what happens when you do that? They usually don't. Yeah. And so it's, a, it's an opportunity for them 
for children, for, for anybody who's doing this, to know that when you, when you open up an opportunity and put that in somebody else's court, then action happens off of that. There's a reaction to that action. And it often is a reaction that would not have been triggered had you not taken that first initial step. Right. You know, it, it's, it's amazing, you know, the area that we live in, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, Has we, changed. Have, we have a great medical center. Yep, fantastic. We, we, have, we have great Main Streets programs. Probably the best square in my district from a, from a thriving Rossi business square standpoint. Is, is doing fantastic stuff. Um, how, does that reflect the? I think that those both of those organizations. If you look at the people who are working mm -hmm. with them and, and doing their thing. Uh, you've been in the community for a yep. long time. Been trying to extend the Rosendale Health Center to High Park. I know that. To do that. I'm on the board over there. Yeah. I wasn't going to bring that part up, but <laughs> thanks for mentioning. <laughs> been working on it. Uh, we, you know, we have the money and the budget to do it. Now we're just trying to make sure we lock out the no, location. I, I'm in the middle of that, and that's that's a big deal. Yeah, no, and that's a significant one. High Park has no community health center for right. folks who are, who are right. watching, trying to figure out what this is. Rosendale does. Uh, it's a fantastic one, and Mattapan does. It's another phenomenal one. Uh, and recently, during the COVID. Uh, crisis, uh, COVID pandemic that we had in Hyde Park, there was a lack of ability for us to get vaccinations, to get testing, to yeah. get these things where yeah. other communities they could just go. go. Deal so they were saying, for instance, that the Hyde Park uh, Hospital was the Faulkner. That's not, it's not even in Hyde Park. No, and it's, it's not easily available to somebody who lives in Hyde Park and is, has to take public transit or right. do any of those things. And so uh, the Greater Boston Rosedale Health Center stepped in and said, we'll do, a, we'll do vaccinations at the YMCA. Yeah. So thank you to the YMCA and thank you to the Greater Boston Rosedale Health Center. And when they were doing that, I believe they gave out over 7,500 vaccinations, mostly to a Haitian Creole immigrant Population, because that is what represents High Park now. Yeah. Um, and they said, you know, I think there's a need here for a health center. And I said, we agree, we're trying to do it. And so now it's just been a matter of trying to get all of those ducks in a row. But we've secured the funding now under two administrations. Mayor Janey put the funding to the side, and then Mayor Wu kept that funding there. And now we're just trying to make sure we, we get this done appropriately and correctly so that we can deliver those services. But the Greater Boston Rosendale Health Center is in and of itself a success story mm -hmm. of a decade ago, or more now at this point, of residents in Rosendale fighting for this kind of care and this yeah. kind of um, establishment. And for them to be in a position now where 10 years later they can pay that forward by extending into Hyde Park is incredibly important and I think a tribute to sort of how people build on what comes before them. Well, we're talking about it. We're very serious about it. It's something that we feel is important, like you say, you know, that a, a neighborhood or a resident, neighborhood of Boston. It makes a huge difference. You know, years ago, we used to, we would be able to take these different boroughs, these different parts of the city and specifically identify them as this is where the Irish community lives. This yeah, is that's, where they, that's, you know, that's not that's true kinda anymore. That's kind of gone now, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so my family was moved into Hyde Park in 1981. Uh, to my knowledge, they were like the fourth or the fifth family of color yeah. in the neighborhood, the entire neighborhood. Uh, you know, my, my siblings had a different experience growing up in Hyde Park than I did to some extent because I came of age at a time when Hyde Park was becoming a true boiling sort of melting pot of different cultures. So my, my experience was sort of of an older guard that was moving out or, or frankly passing away and younger communities coming in and moving in. And so I had like this merger of the two where, yeah. you know, on my travel baseball team, I was maybe one of four people of color. Yeah. But in the neighborhood that I was growing up, 
those numbers had changed drastically. And now to look at it, you know, my district is 75 or 74 yeah. percent people of color, and it's not so clean. You can't do the this is where the Italians live and no, this is where can't. the Irish live and this is where the African American population is centered. Hyde Park is very much intermingled in, in most Isn't ways. Isn't this great? I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that we see often is that those mergers are back to like the community focused stuff. Those are what, those sorts of mergers of different ethnic cultures and ethnicities and races, and it's to the benefit of everybody involved. You get stronger participation in things like, you know, Keep High Park Beautiful is our local uh, cleanup crew or our soup kitchens or our food kitchens because you are you are essentially connecting people to experiences or to cultural norms or to things that they do not know about. Yeah. And then you are celebrating them in different ways or incorporating them in different ways that, frankly, I, I, it's hard for me to know I don't know that anyone could make a legitimate argument that isn't based in an ism <laughs> for why we wouldn't want to push for those things. Right. Exactly. Something you don't know is, is, is my family was one of the first families of color in Rosendale. Yes, which has also had a... I call, you know, Rosendale to me is like JP in the 90s. Yeah, they just kind of slid yeah, like up a little out. bit. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, because I grew up going to church in Jamaica Plain in the uh -huh. 90s. Yeah. Uh, we always we lived in Hyde Park my whole life, um, but we would go to Jamaica Plain, which has changed a lot, and it's... And it's its vibe is still similar, but it has culturally and sort of the, the prices of housing went up yeah. significantly. Significantly. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of the same flavor that you felt in Jamaica Plain in like 1997, I feel when I go to, to Rox, Rosendale now. When you go to the farmer's market, it is a melting pot. It's there are, everything. There are families, walking kids, carrying kids that are pregnant, and there are all these people. And if it. I dropped that farmer's market on Center Street in JP, you wouldn't know the difference. You wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. Counselor, thank you very much. We're, thank we're, you. We're coming up against it. I, I can't tell you how proud I am to finally get you in here. I'm glad to be here because I'm always like, you live in my district. You're a BNN <laughs> legend. And I haven't had an opportunity to be here. Now, it's the pandemic. If folks are wondering what it was, it was the pandemic. We're going to blame the pandemic. But I'm Absolutely. also glad that we're doing this in studio because so many yeah. of these interviews over the past have been like. Well, I want to extend Zoom. the invitation to you and your colleagues. Anything you want to talk about, anytime you want oh, happy bring to bring up do something, it. please. Just, happy to do it. Your whole crew's got my number. You know where to find me. Make sure I actually coming. literally know where to find <laughs> Yes. Counselor, thank you very <laughs> much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Listen, gang, well, thank you very much for staying with us. Uh, great conversation. These city councilors are so committed to their communities and to the city of Boston that, that this is the kind of thing that, that we talk about. You know, what do we need, What not what we need to change, not what would happen, oh my goodness. No, what's great to be a Bostonian, and this is, this is what we're doing today. Listen, get out there and do something artful for yourself. It'll make you feel better. Listen, gang, we'll dig you later, okay? Bye-bye now. But I got so many people standing in my